0: You are listening to a Cup of Freedom podcast. This is your host, Matt Galbraith. Make sure that you subscribe and follow our podcast so you will be notified of all new episodes coming soon. And to find out more about us, you can go to facebook.com backslash take the journey to freedom, facebook.com backslash take the journey to freedom. Welcome to the show. This is Matt. Thank you for joining us today on A Cup of Freedom. Today I'm excited to play for you an interview that I did with Mike Daniel. Mike is a fellow brother in Christ, and we talked about the grace lifestyle and what that looks like for us to be able to experience grace through Jesus Christ in us. So I hope you enjoy this interview. You can find out more about Mike and his ministry at Mike. Qdaniel.com, mike Q and I hope you enjoy the interview. All right, welcome everyone
1: to A Cup of Freedom. This is Matt Galbraith. I'm glad that you could be joining us today. And it is my honor to welcome a fellow brother in Christ, Mike Daniel, to the show. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's such a, a privilege to get to come alongside. You and what you're doing, and hear more about that, and uh, you know anything we could do to share both the New Covenant truth that we love with the specific issues that you've been called to address with people. I'm, boy, that excites me. So thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, before we get into this, Mike, I I don't know if you've watched any of my podcasts, but we I actually drink coffee while I interview (laughs) my guests. So you, well, there you go, you've got it. Well, uh, I'm curious to know what kind of coffee do you like? What kind of coffee do you drink? Share with our listeners. So,
2: so, so I like all coffee.
3: Okay. I'm a
2: coffee. Uh, I won't say I'm a coffee snob because I even like bad coffee. But, I'm a, <laughs> but uh, this is an Americano. So it's uh, okay. two espresso with uh, uh, hot water. But because it was such a treat to talk to you, I uh, <laughs> added a little bit of whole milk and wow. a splash. When I do videos, I often add a little splash of pure maple syrup. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's a delicacy <laughs>
3: there you go what an
1: honor what an honor just yeah. for me that's amazing <laughs> you're getting a good coffee <laughs> yes. yeah well it, again thank you for for joining joining us today and I you know I've been following you these last few months over the wonders of technology and and Facebook and things like that and just getting to know you through there but if you wouldn't mind tell tell our listeners a little bit about you and uh your ministry work that uh, that you do sure
2: yeah so uh my name and i guess moniker on most of social media and website and all that is mike q daniel my middle name is quest and uh, there's lots of mike daniel uh you know websites and stuff celebrities out there i think there's a football player or a hockey player or someone so if you remember the q you can find me mike q daniel okay uh, .com is the website and facebook and all that and uh, so that's that's me. but um, uh, my ministries evolved over the years. I was a pastor for uh, a handful of years with uh, a few churches, and uh, my uh, background prior to that was in the corporate world, doing leadership training and executive coaching, and uh, moved into pastoral work kind of by accident as a volunteer. And as the need grew and ministry grew, uh, was invited to, uh, go through ordination and and be a part of uh, the ministry that I was volunteering in at the time. And over the years, uh, that's just grown. And I've helped plant a handful of churches and done missionary work. And so it's evolved quite a bit. But since 2008, I've started the ministry that is now Mike Q Daniel Ministries, and uh, I do a lot of filling pulpits and doing discipleship conferences of different kinds, marriage conferences. Um, And a lot of leadership training. So I come alongside pastors and churches and small group leaders in uh, training what new covenant looks like, what it means for Christ to be our life as it applies uh, to any venue. But my heart really is for pastors, for leaders, for churches to know what body life looks like and discipleship looks like if we are who God says we are and we have what God says we have
1: that 's awesome, I, so let me back up a little bit did you did you always did you always know that you wanted to go into ministry and become a pastor? Was that something that was like from the beginning you knew or did you kind of stumble into it
2: <laughs> no, I was very much stumbling into it, so okay. that's a good good question uh, honestly, before I knew the freedom and finished work of Christ, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I grew up in a denomination that was very uh, and, and a specific church within that denomination that was very studious. And so the way that we pursued closeness with God, though it never works this way, I didn't know that at the time, uh, was you learn more, you study more, you pray more, you put in more time, you serve more, you give more, you go more. And so, uh, you know, I, I just thought you and I are, if we disagreed about something, you might be right, but I'm going to win the argument anyway. If you're going to quote a scripture, I'll quote it in Greek, and uh, you know I, so it was it was almost like dominance was the name like I had to be better and that uh, was kind of a family culture and a church culture, and uh, I took it very seriously, so as I went through struggles in my life, uh, as I went through uh, uh, lust struggles as a youth, as I went through a car accident uh, on my way uh, headed into college at the end of my senior year in high school, and that derailed all of my plans that I thought I had earned God's blessing on by being such a good Pharisee. Uh, mm-hmm. It really undermined my faith in myself, which is which is all that is right. All Pharisaism is all all we're really describing is idolatry of self. Like I can be good yeah. enough to cause God's activity. So Uh, my goal was to be a good enough Christian that God would bless all of my plans for my life. And uh, boy, did that not work. (laughs) So no, I was going to be a musician and uh, was on a music scholarship and lost that because of a car accident that I alluded to and, uh, uh, and had to figure out, you know, change to a psychology bachelor's degree and then started a business, which became a, uh, a management, Uh, training company and marketing company. And so it just kind of evolved from there. I was volunteering in a church and they grew and the ministries that I was overseeing grew. And even though I no longer had much faith in myself and didn't yet fully understand identity in Christ, uh, God just blessed that. And I I saw that what I was doing wasn't causing the blessing, but God was active and working and inviting me into things that he was doing in people's lives and it just, it mushroomed areas of ministry, and they uh, ordained me and brought me into to a pastoral role, and uh, so that's how I got into ministry, very much by accident.
1: Yeah, interesting, yeah, and, and that describes somewhat of my upbringing as well with regards to my, my early church experiences were very much legalistic, very much, you know, do all these things, and so I grew up kind of with this you know, try to be a good Christian, try to do all the right, all the right things and stay away from all the wrong things. Uh, but so I'm, I'm interested too, in how, you know, because ultimately my biggest transformation for me in my own life was understanding God's grace and understanding my identity in Christ, and then being able to live yeah. through that. How, what, maybe walk, take me through a little bit of how that first kind of, starter for you and how you began to really begin to embrace this grace identity that that you're now teaching to others. Yeah. Yeah, well
2: for me it was really a dismantling first. First it was okay. a dismantling of my lying beliefs. So God brought me to a place of realizing that all of the things I was putting my faith in were not him, they were me. And they didn't work. And so I did Everything right, you know, as if the heart of that is right, um, but was doing all the things I thought that he required of me in order to cause or earn or merit his blessings. I followed his recipes for, uh, you know, relationships, and those relationships failed. I did everything right in my own power and strength, and was a good, you know, servant in the church, but still struggled uh, as a young adult, as a as a youth with. Uh, with lust issues and sin and the guilt of that, and uh, I, you know, I, I followed uh, the biblical recipes that were taught for relationships and money and business, and and all of my efforts didn't didn't bear fruit. Those things could still fail. There was nothing I could do that could cause God's activity. And yet, in other areas of my life, I see blessing. I see fruit. That I'm clearly not causing because of all I'm trying to make this work, he's making this work. And then I turn and focus over here, and he makes this over here. So I see him working, but it's not in response to my fleshy success. And, uh, you know, I had successes and failures, and God worked very consistently in my life, independent of those. And so when I became a pastor, Uh, pretty quickly, I was realizing that all of the things that he was doing was not because of how well I was doing. It was because of something he wanted to do and invite me into. So without me really understanding identity fully, I started teaching and seeing in scripture very consistently a relational economy in the new covenant for our walk with God, that I was going to walk with him and he was going to do what he wanted. And if I was available instead of trying to be Lord of my own life, right? If my, my goal was no longer my own sovereignty of my circumstances, but just participating with him and he gets to do what he wants. Then I increasingly experienced his love as I loved other people. And I experienced his compassion for other people. And, and it was a joy to participate in what he was doing in their life. And he would give me revelation in scripture that in all of my study, you know, I, I never saw, and so it became this relational dynamic that, um, uh, that, that I then was able to preach and teach and, and uh, speak out of. And so things that I would say a lot of times were, were along the lines of, uh, look, whatever God wants to do isn't going to be up to me, and it's not going to be thwarted by me but it can be participated in by me. Like I can participate in your life with him. If I just give up my agenda for you <laughs> and, and he can do what he wants and I'm neither necessary uh, nor am I the obstacle, but I can be the participant in that. And that's going to be joy to me. So, so that's what I was teaching that we get to walk with him and trust him. And, and, uh, and then I went to a conference. Actually, we invited to my church a couple of years into that process uh, a conference out of Dallas uh, from a ministry that I'm now a national board member of, but that was just a local ministry that came in and did uh, a Grace Life conference. And the whole time I'm going, that's what I've been trying to say. It gave me a, a set of semantics for what I had been seeing in, in scripture. And so I just dove dove all in. Uh, i yeah, every book and went through every training and met every person associated with that group because they were doing diagrams and discussing and had a library of resources for this. uh, I don't want to say this truth, like it's separate from other truth, but for the whole gospel message that I think it was only partially taught in, in the denomination and churches that I grew up in. So anyway, now I'm, you know, I'm on the board of Network 220, which used to be the Association of Exchange Life Ministries. And so that office is one of hundreds of, of ministries that are part of that association. And, um, you know, I get to do, I mean, fast forward 20 years, that's where I, where I am now. It's a great organization of ministries. And, uh, and it really gave me a set of semantics to share uh, that message of, of new covenant identity in, in our life in Christ.
1: Yeah. And I love what you said there about um, in, in the beginning there about having to like unlearn the the phrase I use is like, you have to unlearn a lot of sure. things, especially for someone, you know, I grew up in the church and so taught all these things. And then, you know, you talked about how you were doing a lot of good stuff, right. But yet it was more law-based stuff. And, it and, and so this idea of, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about, you know, their actions, but then below their actions are their emotions, and then below their emotions are their thoughts, and then below that are their beliefs, and if the, and and their actions and their emotions are connected to their beliefs, so this idea of unlearning, or what you believe you're going to act on, maybe comment a little bit, and that, and again, that can be things that are very good things, too, <laughs> that we think are good things it 's not just right. always the sinful things, right right, but yet more right. the law based things, sure. uh, you know, maybe talk a little bit about the connection there that you 've seen between you know your beliefs, thoughts, emotions, and then ultimately behavior
2: sure, yeah, so when I coach with pastors, I, I have to unpack this idea. And I usually have a diagram, you know, a whiteboard, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but how that looks to me is that normally there are a couple of exceptions to this process, but the normal way of us getting to a behavior is that we have a certain way of thinking. The Bible talks about the renewing of the mind. So to think differently, to take a truth. And so first I have to know the truth, right? So I have to know that, um, uh, this is a white-ish mug. I have to know that <laughs> yeah. uh, before, before I can ever tell anybody this is white and this is blue and this is yellow. Before I can do that, I've got to know it. And, I, and then I also have to believe it. So if you tell me that this is white, uh, you know, a white mug, and I go, no, I really <laughs> think that's brown. <laughs> then, yeah. then I'm going to be useless helping people discern the colors and whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. So I have to know something. And then I have to believe it, and if I believe it, that's going to change my emotions about it. So there's this informational process that turns into a belief. I have to make a choice about it. I think that's true. What uh, Jesus says, the work of God is in John six, is believing in the one that God has sent. So to believe God in Jesus Christ, whom He sent, that's the work of God that he calls us to. He's not calling us to do things for him. He's calling us to believe mm. in Jesus Christ. Why yeah. is that the work? Because it's hard to choose to entrust my life and trust my circumstances, believe that he is sovereign. So I don't have to be, believe that he loves me. So I don't have to be. So believing is a choice and the and choice as in any relationship, right? Is yeah. work. <laughs> that's the yeah. work of relationship is choice. So, so there's an understanding, there's a, a belief, and the belief determines my emotions. I gave you the example before we started that uh, you know if I jump out of an airplane, whether or not that's a fun experience or a terrifying experience depends whether or not I believe I'm going to survive that, right? I have a parachute. Yeah. I believe it's going to work. I don't believe it's going to work. Put two people on a roller coaster. One has a great time. One doesn't have a great time because one person thinks they're going to be okay and one person thinks they're going to die on the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. one of them is right and one of them is wrong, right? They aren't going to they they can't both be right. One of them right. is based on the truth and one of them is based on something that's not true and that's going to change their experience. So our belief changes our emotions. I cannot operate out of something I don't believe in. I I if you tell me my entire life and I believe that I will never be smart enough to drive a car, or do math, or have a decent relationship. you tell me that my entire life and I believe it, then I'm never going to try to drive a car because I'm convinced that I can't. I'm never going to have a healthy relationship because I'm convinced that I can't. If I tell people that they are righteous in Christ by grace, that it's relational righteousness, not religious righteousness, they have to choose. That's information. They have to choose whether or not they believe that. And if they do believe it, they can walk in righteousness that is a gift to them in relationship with Jesus Christ. If they don't believe it, then even though they have the information, they're going to feel like they have to be good enough on their own before they ever have any experience of righteousness in their life. And so the belief will determine their emotional experience and the emotional experience. I want to be justified. I got to try hard or I'm already justified. I can rest, right? It changes my behavior. So there's Bottom line, renewing of the mind with the truth, which I choose by belief, which determines how I feel, and those feelings determine my behavior every single time. Uh, So with one exception, and that is art. Art, music, art, uh, anything that is emotionally uh, uh, connecting for us speaks to the heart. And we will raise our hands in a worship song that has erroneous lyrics, or we will watch a movie and feel for the character because it's well done. And we will believe the underlying principles driving the behavior in the character's life without ever evaluating, right? Without ever receiving and evaluating the information. It speaks directly to the heart, to the emotions, or that song might speak directly, that worship song speaks directly to the heart and I never evaluate the truth or lies of the lyrics. And so it actually can inform my behavior and my beliefs from the seat of emotion. And those things are both extremely powerful for good and extremely powerful for lies. Because I'll, be, I'll feel for a character who's actually representing something untrue. And I'll adapt that and fight for it without ever evaluating the truth of it. So most of the time, it's what I believe determines how I feel, determines how I behave. But sometimes something will speak to my heart, and it will dictate what I believe and how I behave.
1: That's interesting, making that making that connection there. And I, I, you know, what I hear you saying is that ultimately we have to choose to believe the truth. So it's by faith, right? It's by trust. Right. Faith is a huge deal here. Trusting is a huge deal because we're given the knowledge of the truth, but we either accept it or right? We reject it, right? Is that ultimately kind of what it comes down to in your mind? Absolutely. So we have this wrong
2: idea about faith, that faith is what I do for God. No, faith is what I trust God with. It's what I allow God to do with me, right? My faith is in God and what he is doing, not me and what I'm doing. So faith is not what I do for God. Faith is what I let God do with me or trust God has done already for me. So it's a choice, not an action it informs action, right? Because if I trust him, that's going to change how I behave. It's going to change how I respond to the violence I'm seeing on Facebook. It's going to change how I respond to my wife when she misunderstands me. It's going to change what I think I want to do when I can't deal with the pressures of the world, right? So you're dealing with clients that are self-soothing and struggling with addictions and Uh, Operating out of coping mechanisms because of some lying beliefs that that's what they actually want. And yet we always regret our coping mechanisms. And we always, as a believer, celebrate righteousness every single time. So, what do we really want? If I believe what I want is a righteous relationship with Jesus Christ, then when I am tempted to self soothe in a coping mechanism or blame or hide or uh, some other way, avoid the the uh, failure of my flesh or the pressure of the world that I'm not meant to be able to withstand apart from Christ. If I, if I think that what I truly want is to give into those emotionally driven lying beliefs, then I will never overcome those temptations. But if I realize I always regret sin, it's not compatible with me. And I always celebrate in righteousness in my life and i truly do love god and believe that he loves me then then i'm ne- then when those temptations come i'm going to go yeah but i really don't want to do that i know yeah. better that voice in my head is not of god and it's not of me because if it's not of him it's not of me because that's who i am i'm a new creation child of god so if it's not of god it's not of god it's not of grace and if it's not of grace and it's not compatible with me it's what i'm meant to run on So, yeah, all that to say, I think a a lot of times we believe that our feelings are the seat of truth in our life. And our feelings are directed by all kinds of things. The enemy, the song on the radio, the, you know, bad pizza I ate last (laughs) night. All of those (laughs) things can affect my emotions. Emotions are not, feelings are not the conveyance of truth. God is the conveyance of truth. And as I believe him. I'm less susceptible to the lying beliefs that lead me into sin that I hate
1: and I love that you said that though because you know um as as Christ in us when we go the way of sin that's why we're so frustrated that's why we're so miserable because you know i tell I tell guys that I'm working with that's why you're that's why you're so discontent and frustrated because you're going against your new character. You're you're a new man right. in Christ. Right. And that's why you're you're struggling and battling because it's not who you are anymore. And right. that's why there's this this frustration and this tension. Well I want I want to talk about some truth right now because I think awesome. you know I, I didn't really fully begin to understand grace and my grace identity until I was in my mid thirties. I, you know, I, I came to the Lord at a young age at seven, but until my mid thirties really didn't even understand grace. And then began I've lived it now over the last, you know, 12 years. Uh, but I think there's a big, huge disconnect for so many Christians. I know you see this, I see it. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just talk about grace for a minute, because I, I love that word, but let's just You know, what you've learned and what you sense maybe is the disconnect for a lot of people with regards to, first of all, what God's grace really is. Mm -hmm. And then, secondly, like, how is that supposed to really transform us into having our minds renewed and then living in a completely different way?
2: Sure, sure.
1: Well, you know, we
2: have a hard time accepting God's finished work on our behalf through the work of Jesus Christ. But if I could do what life requires, then Jesus Christ died for nothing. Mm, wow. Right? If if the life that I am called to, I could accomplish for God, then Jesus didn't have to die to pay for my sin. I could have just done better.
1: Mm, wow.
2: And if I could pay him back, I could have just done it in the first place. So the two best ways for a Christian to waste their life is trying to cause God's favor that I was never designed to be able to do. Or to pay him back for his favor that if I could do, I could have just done it in the first place for myself. Instead, we have to realize the economy of the new covenant and the whole purpose of the law was to prove the need for the new covenant, right? I can't be good enough. The perfect law condemns the imperfect flesh, so I've got to have some other path to righteousness, to the life that I'm designed to live. It cannot be my causing it. And if I can't cause it, and I can't earn it, and I can't merit it, and I can't somehow deserve it, then then it's going to have to be a gift. And that is grace. The life of Christ for me and the entire economy of my relationship with God and how I live my life is based on grace. Grace is what God does for me, and faith is my choosing to let him. It is not my doing something for him to earn something from him It is my choosing to let him do what only he can do by grace for me and in me and through me. Because what I do for God, supposedly, if I could do anything, would speak of me. But what Mm. I let God do in me and through me speaks of him. That's why it's over and over in Paul's letters, he talks about to the praise of the glory of his grace, right? The the glory of his grace, the praise of his grace. Why? Because what God does by grace for me talks about how great and powerful and loving and sufficient he is. What I do for him talks about how competent and self-righteous and self-justifying and dominant I can be of my circumstances. And it, it glorifies me. which which one, never works, and two, isn't his agenda, isn't what he wants. So grace is this economy of life that is the very person of Jesus Christ alive and working in me. And I can't earn it, and I can't cause it, and I can't disjoint myself from it. I can either just participate in that economy or live out of a lie. Here's the great news. Even when I fail to operate from his grace economy, it doesn't change what is true. It's still, the truth is still true. Faith is acting like the truth is true, <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't yeah. cause the truth to be true. So I can experience the life of Christ by choosing it, or I can miss out on the experience of the life of Christ by not choosing it, but Christ is still my life either way.
1: That's grace. Oh, wow. So good. Yeah. Do, do you think, Mike, uh, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, as you were saying that, do you think it's so hard for us because really nothing in this life kind of teaches us that. Like everything in life kind of like we're trying to earn, we're trying to go after, we're trying to work hard for. And then here's this unbelievable grace of God that comes and says, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to warrant it. It's, it's, it's a free gift. Do you think that is, is part of the huge difficulty for even a lot of Christians in just like I'm sure. always trying to earn something?
2: Right. Yeah. The biggest problem for Christians in receiving that truth is reconciling all of the misunderstanding of scripture that they've heard and received. Because we we can only walk through any current experience based on our history. Like I can't ignore what I already know when I come to scripture. It's informing my perspective. I project what I already believe on what I read. So I tend to see what I already people are prejudiced about scripture, right? I'm going to see what I think, but if I don't believe the truth about what scripture says, I'm going to see conflicts that aren't really there. So here's what happens. People spend their whole life hearing that you're responsible to be a good husband and you're responsible to overcome sin. And you've got to earn God's uh, uh, blessings in your life. And scripture is the recipe book. So you just Mm. flip to the recipe for marriage and, yeah. Okay. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, good luck with that. I'm <laughs> condemned immediately. If yeah. that's a law that I have to meet in order to earn his favor, then it's going to work just like every other law in scripture and condemn me. Oh, I just have to have God's love for my spouse. That's all. What, what do I rub together to cause that fire? Like there's nothing I can do to cause that. There's wow. got to be another way for that to become true. And what grace allows, if we can receive it and give up responsibility for what only God can do in and through us, is instead of me getting identity from being a great husband, look how hard I've tried and made a great marriage. I can give up the identity that I want from it because I have so much worth, significance, and security, and sufficiency in my relationship with Christ. I don't have to use my wife and use my marriage as my source. I can trust him and just be available in my marriage and he can love my spouse through me more than I could ever hope or imagine.
1: And that takes, that takes so much of the pressure off, right? It takes so much of the reliance off of us. And I don't know about you. In every area. Yeah. In every area. And I don't know about you listeners, but that is so freeing. That's the message that we're trying to get here at our ministry, Freedom For You. And also with, you know, with, with Mike's ministry, uh, that that it just takes the load off. You know, I wanna I wanna shift if we can just for a few minutes, Mike, on connecting God's grace with our sexuality. You know, our ministry right. deals with individuals who are struggling with their sexuality. It's it's so prevalent. It's so huge now today. You know, I work mostly with Christians. I work with a few non-Christians, but mostly with Christians. And you know, I don't know how much of the numbers that you follow, but the numbers say that a large majority of Christians are dealing with issues of lust and sexual struggles in some form or fashion. Right. Uh, So I want you to maybe talk for a minute about grace and how that can impact someone's sexuality. And also if they're struggling with a behavior that they don't want, you know, uh, and they've tried for so long, you know, like me trying for 20 years to try to do all the right things to stop, doing something, uh, you know, draw the connection between God's grace and how that can ultimately help them with dealing with their, with their own sexual struggles.
2: Right. Well, first understanding, well, let me take a step back. If any of the listeners to this podcast are struggling with sexual sin or with sexual identity or, uh, which by the way, uh, uh, Temptation is not sin. So, if someone is struggling with uh, same sex attraction or struggling with temptation for pornography or struggling with uh, some unhealthy sexual practice, even in their marriage, or struggling with something that isn't God's best for them, I just want to encourage that person. One, in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you can do that will bring you under critical judgment from God. He is smart enough and knows you well enough to discern the difference between who you are and how you behave. If I can do that for my infant daughter, she's not an infant now, she's an architect in Dallas. (laughs) But when when she was an infant, I, I could separate her from the mess that she made, right? I didn't mistake her for the mess that she was in. I didn't, I didn't confuse her identity with, you know, how bad a eater or walker or, you know, bathroom user she was. I didn't confuse how good she was at being a fulfilled human experience with who she really was. She was my child. And when she was in a mess, whether it was, you know, food or a diaper or, you know, a conflict with a kid in school, all I wanted was for her to be free of it. All I wanted was for her to be free of it so that she could have as much joy in her life, in her relationships, with her food, (laughs) with her body, in every way that she possibly could. I didn't confuse her behavior and her performance with her identity. She was always my child. She was always loved, and I always wanted her best. So if I could do that with my daughter, how much more can God, who never designed us to be perfect for him but design but but designed us to receive his completion his perfection for yeah. us and so there's no condemnation we've got to get away from the, yeah. the the criticism of ourselves because that's what grace affords us grace first and foremost affords us no condemnation it's our superpower i can sin and not be defined by it i am yeah. not condemned by it i can associate more with my savior than my sin more as christ is my friend than my own flesh patterns. i am who i am in union with him not how well i behave for him and Mm -hmm. if i can choose to identify myself in my own thinking increasingly with who he is then i can increasingly see my sin as something i'm doing because i'm a victim of lying beliefs from the father of lies not from me i'm not battling myself i'm battling an enemy And so the more I realize my identity in Christ, all by grace, then the freer I am from the condemnation of my performance and sin patterns, and the more I realize I don't want those things, and they're not compatible with me because they're not compatible with the God who defines me. Mm. If It's not compatible with him. It's not compatible with me. So in the middle of a temptation, I have to say, does God want me to do this or not want me to do this, right? That's almost law. Sorry, God, I hate that you don't want me to do it, but I want to do it. So I'm in conflict with God. No, you're not. You're in conflict with the flesh. The spirit that is in you is in conflict with the flesh that's in you, but you're not both of those things. You are spirit and you with the Holy Spirit in you are in conflict with the flesh. Praise God. He overcomes the flesh. So we don't have to, right? The spirit's warring against the flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. Well, if the Holy Spirit is warring against the flesh, and the flesh that's in me but not me is warring against the spirit, where am I? I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not the flesh. I'm a third party going, go, spirit, conquer the flesh. Let's (laughs) let's be free of this. But I don't always think that. I've been taught that I'm the flesh, and I've got to overcome, and I'm the one who – Uh, has to be perfect and has to be righteous and has to fix my behavior or God's not going to be close to me and he's not going to be in other words my identity is in jeopardy and my union with Christ is in jeopardy and my intimacy with God is in jeopardy based on sin that is not my own doing now that doesn't mean I have uh, no responsibility I do have responsibility because I choose do I follow the flesh or do I follow the spirit so I have responsibility in the choice but not in the righteousness. I'm not the cause of the Mm. righteousness. So grace first informs my identity. It frees me of condemnation. And ultimately it empowers me to live Mm. the righteous life that is a gift to me uh, by Jesus Christ's indwelling life. None of that is my causing, but all of it is my choosing. That's faith. Mm. I choose it. God is not saying, will you do this for me? Right. He's saying, are you willing to let me do this through you? I know you can't overcome that temptation. I know you can't fix that desire. There's no switch that you can flip that can change your perspective of that thing that you've been stuck in as a pattern of coping for 20 years. There's nothing that you can do to fix that. But So not will you, are you willing? Because if you're willing, then just say, yes, Lord, I'm willing, but you have to. And he'll go, done, done. Mm. Oh, but I messed up yesterday i 'm not talking about yesterday. <laughs> I mean right now, I want to have joy right now right now you don 't have to fix yesterday to have my joy now because yesterday didn't cost you anything with me we 're okay, so identity, mm. empowerment, freedom uh, and and ultimately discerning between. Uh, the spirit yeah. leading, the voices in my head, the spirit leading versus the flesh leading. One of them is me, and it's often not the one, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so good. I'm I'm glad you made the distinction there also between temptation and sin. Uh, I just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago on that distinction of making sure awesome. that you know that temptation, being tempted, is not a sin. You know, the, the scripture I'm thinking of is in Hebrews, I believe, where it says that even Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, except he was without sin. So there's this distinction between the temptation and the sin. So, you know, I'm curious to your experience with within the church, because one of the main reasons why I started this podcast was just kind of reclaiming this great gift of sexuality that God has given us, reclaiming right. it for his glory mm. but but also noticing in my own experience that people just weren't really talking about it too much right uh, you know like the word sex had become a dirty word almost like you even say that right. word it's kind of a dirty word and even in the church so i'm I'm right. curious has that been your experience uh, within your oh, own yeah. church experience and and what what do you think? Uh, That's the first part of the question. And secondly, what do you think could be a shift for the church or how we're talking about this grace life? What could be a shift for us as the church to begin to just speak about it more freely and openly?
2: Yeah, I I think because of the um, stigma to sexual issues, and, and the reason there is, is one, because there are sin patterns. I mean, create people whose greatest uh, physical stimulation, greatest uh, physical uh, uh, joy-filled response, the best feeling we can possibly have is attached to something that uh, relieves the pressures temporarily and distracts from the thing, right? It's set up to be one of the greatest coping mechanisms, and I, I don't mean it's good, uh, but it can be Uh, but but it's also one of the easiest coping mechanisms to use sex, to use other people, to use our own sexuality in order to meet lustful needs, in order to compensate for pressures in life, in order to seek comfort and self-soothe and escape circumstances that the flesh was never meant to be able to overcome, right? So we've got all these pressures we can't bear up under. And so the best thing we can do is figure out a way to cope with them. And the biggest coping mechanism in the world is, is sexual release, right? It's both distracting and self-soothing. And so it's a drug, but in use that way, it's, it's a drug, but God has made us to experience uh, what I was going to say is there's such stigma then attached to that, even though it was designed for our joy in union with another human being it was meant for intimacy and so the the stimulus that we're talking about that becomes such a great coping mechanism was designed to be the mechanism of our deepest intimacy nothing speaks of god more in our physical life than the intimacy and 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 sexual intimacy especially in physical and emotional union with a person that we are committed to for life. That's a perfect illustration in the physical of our spiritual union with God, who is yeah. our greatest joy and, and, and supply and the meat of our needs and companion. And So uh, I think the way that it has to be addressed, because there's so much stigma to it, it's the easiest coping mechanism in the world. It's the easiest to hide. It's the most private Um, it's the most easily accessible with technology today as a coping mechanism. Um, and it's hard to convince people that you are not your sin. So I think honestly, we have to look at what scripture says about us being sensual beings. We are made to be sensual beings so we can experience God's gifts. Paul says that you are, uh, that food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food, but I'll not be mastered by either. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? He's given us food, and then he's designed us with taste buds and a stomach so that we can enjoy it. God's gifts were made for his gifts, and he has made the gifts for us, but they're meant to speak to us of him. Our sex life, just like our food or a sunset or music, it all is meant to speak of the glory of God to us. Look how much God loves me that he didn't just create food. And he didn't just create taste buds, but he created taste buds for food. <laughs> Does that make sense? He created yeah. something uh, as a gift, and then he created me to perfectly receive it. And then he gave mm. me eyes to be able to see millions of colors. And he created a sunset that gives me a different color every day.
3: Mm.
2: He created, uh, I mean, that, that's not, he's not looking for something to look at. I just wish I had something pretty in heaven. Let me create sunsets on the earth. He, I suspect his view is great. He created that for us. (laughs) He created food for us. He created coffee for us. Amen. Uh,
1: Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Holy Spirit in a cup. There you go.
2: He created sex for us. He He gave us the gift. He created us for the gift and the gift for us. We are perfectly matched but they're not meant to be our way of being our own source to meet our own needs or cope for our own failures of, of dealing with pressures. He's, he's designed us to experience something of him in them. And, and so the way that they're designed to experience him is the way that they're meant to parallel our relationship Mm. with him. And so sex and food, Great image of sufficiency given authority over one another, not so that we can get something from each other, but so that we can serve each other with that authority. And so, the, the shepherding illustration, right? The shepherd doesn't yeah. shepherd the sheep for his sake, but for their sake. And so, power and passion and uh, provision, right? All the temptations of Jesus power, passion, provision, all of those things are meant parallel our relationship with God as he, what did he do with his authority? Gave it up to prove his love for me, mm. gave yeah. sovereignty to me so that I could exercise it for him. Uh, what does he do with passion? Well, his passion for me took him to the cross so that he, I could experience life with him. Well, that's a great parallel to sex. Right, that I would exercise the intimacy and union that I have with my wife in order to bring her the greatest possible joy because I don't need to use her to make myself feel better about my bad day. I I think there's a lot of sexual sin in marriage because we're just using each other to make ourselves feel better. Well, that's food and everything else, right? I can, uh, anyway, any sensual experience can be sin. And so God has made us sensual beings to experience His gifts, but they're all meant to speak of Him by how they relate and parallel our relationship with Him.
1: Yeah, that's so good. And just you know, in that does it, doesn't does that show us just how good of a Father that He is? That oh, He would give us wow. these good gifts, yeah. like food, like yeah. sexuality. I mean, it just it reminds me of how good, how good He is. And ultimately, Mike, what I hear you saying is that. This Christ life that's in us, uh, he's asking not for our behavior, not for our re- religious works. He's, he's not wanting us to get it all figured out. He's ultimately asking us to trust him, to depend on him. We're dependent creatures. Is that, is that really what I, what I kind of hear you saying? Just ultimately sure. it's his life in us, and we are just called to, to rest and relax and then respond by faith out of the life that we already have in us. Right,
2: right. But the reason, even that entrusting that he wants us to have towards him, that faith, the choosing by faith for our life with him, it's because he likes you, Matt. Yeah. He likes you. He actually wants to be with you. He would rather give up life in eternity with God and all authority over heaven and earth. He would rather give that up for you to share it with you than to have remained without you. That means you are worth more to him relationally, just for relationship, not for a cause. He wasn't lacking glory in heaven. He made you as the object of his love to receive it from him. And so what he wants us to do is entrust our life to him as we receive his life for us. That's yeah. I want to use the word intercourse, right? But that people <laughs> will take that wrong. That's well, the interchange of his grace and our faith that he gives and we receive that that God is the father because we we've been brought into the relationship with God as uh co-heirs with Christ, not yeah. not co-fathers with God, but co sons and daughters with christ so that love of the father is giving and leading and the love of the son is receiving and following so we see jesus receiving from the father following the father in all things yeah well he's given us his spirit christ's spirit so that we with the spirit of sonship would cry out abba father romans 8 says Mm, why Because he wants his life, his joy, his fruitfulness for us that we would experience and participate in divine life. He's not wanting that for him. He already has that. He's done all of this for us, for you. He likes you. He doesn't just love you because it's his character. He actually wants to hang out with you and for you to know how good life is which is Christ, right? He said, I am the life. I am the way. In other words, we walk with Christ. I am the truth. We know Christ. And I am the life. What we experience is Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way that we walk, the truth that we know, and the life that we experience. He wants himself for us because there's nothing better than him because he likes us. It's all relational. So it's not that he wants people to love him so that he, or trust him so that we can serve him. He's not lacking anything. He's yeah. just fine. In my sin, God is fine. He's not threatened at all. In my right. rejection of God, he's not going, why don't they like me? He's fine. <laughs> he's perfectly secure in his glory forever. He's just wanting more for me. He's just wanting more for me. So it's for relationship that he's done all of these things so that we as the object of his love would trust him enough to receive it because there's no relationship without choice and there's no faith without choice. And our choice is whether we're going to be the cause of our life and the fix of our life and the producer of our life, or are we going to choose to be the recipients of his life
3: Mm. and the
2: experiencers of what only he can do in and through us to the praise of the glory of his grace? Or am I going to operate from the praise of the glory of my effort, my performance?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so good. The word that I've been thinking about lately even is just this idea of him delighting in us. Like when you were saying how much he how much he likes us. He doesn't just love us. Like he literally delights in me. He delights in you. And I want you to hear that listeners too that, that yes, God loves you and he gave his life for you, but he literally delights in you. And that when you when you know that you you're being delighted in, that is just a game changer. For everything, uh, you know, it just is. Well, you know, Mike, I could go on and on with this, but I, I really want to kind of give you one final question here, just sure. to kind of give give our listeners, uh, just you know, wherever they're at in this journey. Because as as I work with individuals, there's some that I'm working with that are on day one, you know, in the in their in their recovery. Some are, mm-hmm. you know day 30 or some are some are in day 10,000 but they but they're still you know in in this process you know i want you to just leave our listeners with a message of hope a message of encouragement uh maybe something that you would like to just leave with them that they could grab a hold of and just say you know what yeah i i really i really needed that encouragement today
2: sure well you know a thousand things that i could say but for whatever reason hebrews 12:2 comes to mind where it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't know who your listeners are, just speaking to you listeners now. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life and in your circumstances. I don't know what you like about your life and circumstances or what you feel like you're struggling with in your life and circumstances. Uh, I don't know where you think you are in your relationship with God, but uh, all of that is us often looking like Adam saw his own nakedness and hid from God that's not God's desire. God wants to come to you and for you to return to a place because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, of Christ consciousness, not self-consciousness. So Hebrews 12, 2 says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Not that we fix our life, fix our behavior, fix our sin, fix ourselves. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's no switch that I can flip to believe God more. But I can fix my eyes on Jesus. And as I look to him and see his love for me and his finished work for me and what he did for me on the cross, then I increasingly believe him about his love and about me and about our relationship. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter, the finisher, right, the completer yeah. of our faith, who for the joy, Christ's joy, for the joy of us in relationship with him endured the cross though he scorned its shame, being the bane of all of sin, of all of history, for all of mankind, to his father, whom he never chose to sin against. He didn't choose sin, but he chose to bear sin. I, who have chosen to sin all the time, don't have to bear the weight of it. He, who never chose it, never wanted independence, chose to bear the weight of of that rebellion. So he, he scorned the, cross, the shame of the cross, but he endured the cross yeah. because he loved me and willingly gave his life for me. So we fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who loved us and gave his life for us. Not, And he's not wrong about us. He actually wanted to do that. He's happy about that exchange. God is not going after all I've done for you. You can't love me any better. No, that's you looking at you. That's the enemy lying to you. Instead, yeah. look to him and all you're going to see is love. All you're going to see is grace. All you're going to see is peace in his finished work. And that truth, that belief will empower living from the righteousness in, in your relationship with him, not your behavior for him. You're freer than you know. You're more loved and accepted than you know. There's nothing you can do to cause it. There's nothing you can do to fracture it but you do get to choose whether or not you walk in it. And when we fail, which we will, to walk according to the finished work of Christ and the grace of Christ, the spirit of Christ, all we have to do is start again because we haven't Mm. fractured the relationship. We've just been acting like we're not in the relationship. So I hope that's an encouragement that everything that is true of Christ by merit, he is freely given you by grace. His righteousness, his life, his relationship with the Father, his peace, his joy, his patience, his divine life, everything that is true of him by merit and his authority is true of you by grace. And the only choice that you have today is whether you'll walk according to that truth.
3: Hmm.
1: Wow, that's an encouragement to me. So I know it has to be an encouragement to our listeners. You know, Mike, thank you so much. Uh, you know, just, just, uh, how, if someone wants to connect with you, if they would want to reach out, what's the best way that, that someone could, you know, either contact you or find out more about you, uh, what sure. would be the best way to do that?
2: Yeah. Everything that we do, everything that I do is free. So we gave, give okay. away devotional content. We give away videos, we give away conferences. Uh, and of course we're donation, uh, based, but most people will never donate. We're giving it away people who want to help us give it away will receive that. <laughs> but you yeah. can't buy anything that we do. You have to receive it. Remind you of anything, right? That's us wow. with God. You yes. can't earn anything. Yes. We just have to receive it. So uh, if people want to come by mikeqdaniel.com, that's my okay. website. They All can right. sign up for free devotional content. We do weekly encouragement by, by video. Uh, we have links to uh, social media and YouTube videos and everything. But the best best thing that people can do is sign up for our email, our weekly email at mikeqdaniel.com, and uh, we'll send you links to stuff as we produce it, and uh, you can receive it for free if you want it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, I'll I'll link everything to that in this description of this uh, podcast. Mike, thank you so much for sharing the cup today. Thank you for, for just what you're doing in your ministry, and I look forward to maybe hopefully many more conversations you yeah, know, on this, on this journey, because, you know, the way I look at it, we're all moving in the same direction. We're all moving right. in, this, in this, uh, this race toward, toward uh, you know, this, this, great, this grace identity. So thank you again for joining us. Thank, thank you, you, listeners, for being here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on A Cup of Freedom.